This reading is a selection of verses taken from Proverbs chapter 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet another um, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is there about my life that can only be explained by the presence of Jesus? That's a question that I've been asking myself recently. Maybe it's something you might ask of your own life as well. I mean, if this Christian message about Jesus being raised from the dead is true, and if the implications of it are real, then where does it make a difference in my life? Now, my first impulse might be to say, well, I'm kinder, I'm gentler, I'm more patient. But social pressure can produce that same kind of change. If I'm unkind, if I'm harsh, if I'm impatient, I'll probably lack friends. My marriage will probably be tense. It'll probably affect my work performance. And my kids will probably look forward to attending college in Iowa. So I guess I'm asking myself, is my life ordinary? Is my life ordinary? And by ordinary, I mean, am I thoughtlessly just following others, just doing what they do and living life like they live? And should I expect anything else? Should I really expect anything else? What about a life less ordinary? That's what I'm wanting, I'm truly desiring to, to, to step into this year, is to step into a life that's less ordinary. Now, what, what, what is a life less ordinary? Well, as I've reflected on it, for me, at least, it begins with living more deliberately. It's so easy to just go through life and let everything hit you and like, let everything decide for you. The kids' schedules, your work what other people want, and it's just easy to just flow in the stream of where everything else is going. So for me, at least it begins with living more deliberately, but then more specifically, it's about stepping into practices that allow me to partner with God in the world. And I began to describe one of those practices for you last week. It's the practice of blessing. And I began to talk about a life that blesses others, and that's going to be the focus for the next several weeks, but it's also the focus for this year. I really felt as I've been praying that God really wanted to, for us to begin to explore through this year what it looks like to have a life that blesses others. And so that's going to be kind of the theme that we're going to continue to, to explore and unpack as we go through this year in a variety of, a variety of ways and occasions. So if you weren't here last week, just a short bit of review. The scripture, as we opened it, shows that this practice of blessing originates in God. 
Genesis 1 and 2, God is revealed as the creator of the world, and in creating the world, he blesses the things that he creates. When he gets to the climax of his creation, humanity, he blesses humanity. And, and then he does something interesting. That blessing continues, and you get to Genesis chapter 12, and you come to this person named Abraham, and God says to him that it's through him that he's going to bless all nations. And at this time, Abraham doesn't have any children. He tells him to look at the stars, and as, as many as there are stars, that's what your offspring will be, and I'm going to use you to bless the nations. And so this is the first time that instead of God just blessing something, instead of God just blessing something, he blesses a person and says that through you, I'm going to bless the world. He now passes on the role of blessing to a human being in the person of Abraham. And that stands out as being something unique because then Israel is supposed to be that blessing to the world. And they fail. And that takes us through the, New, the Old Testament. And finally you come to Jesus and when, what you see in Jesus is what Israel was supposed to be and that is a blessing. Jesus goes around and he blesses people. If you were to describe Jesus' ministry, his life, you could describe it in that short phrase, Jesus blessed people. And Jesus then leaves and he sends his spirit and his spirit now brings not only the Jews into the blessing of God, but also the Gentiles. And you see that in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, where now we have inherited the promise that was given to Abraham and we have now also inherited the role that was given to Abraham and that is to be a blessing to the world. So now we have been given not only the Spirit, but we've given the Spirit in order to partner with God in bringing blessing to the world. That's the, that's the narrative arc of the Scripture as you, as you unpack it. And so to practice blessing is to partner with God in bringing life to the world. And that is a practice that makes life less ordinary. It's the practice of bringing life to the world. So what is blessing? Well, I developed it last week. The old, it comes from the Old Testament word barak. It uses blessing in reference to life. So when you hear the word blessing, you need to think of life. And here's the definition that I gave last week. Blessing is life created by God and is from God. It's life that gives life and extends life. It's about living in such a way as to not hoard the abundant life that we've received from Jesus. It's really about passing out this life, of giving this life to others. Now you go into the New Testament, the New Testament adds a Greek word for blessing, and it's eulogia, it's the word from which we get eulogy. If you go to a funeral, someone typically gives a, a eulogy, right? And what do you do at a eulogy? You stand up and you speak well of the person who has just died. To eulogize is to speak well of. The New Testament picks up the word blessing. It's to speak well of. And more specifically, it's to speak the favor and intention of God into someone's life. It's to speak the favor and intention of God into someone's life. Dallas Willard compresses it. He says that blessing is a projection of good into the life of another. Listen to what someone else says. This person writes, true blessing spoken over someone or something is describing the way God sees them. To see the way someone or something is supposed to be, not how they may appear to be at the moment. Therefore, when we talk about blessing someone, we are prophetically stating, may the Lord grant you all of his intention for you. 
Or may God's full expectation for you be fulfilled in your life. And we know that God's intentions for people are good. Right? You see that again and again in Scripture. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2, where he, he doesn't, the, the, the Scripture doesn't begin with, with curse. It doesn't begin with sin. It begins with God's goodness. It's a book that begins by revealing that God, this God that we say we worship, who is our creator, is a good God. And you see that throughout with his plans. Jeremiah 29, he says, I have plans for you, Israel, and they're plans for good and not for evil. You come into Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus' first ministry experience as he, as he is, unfolds who he is about, what he's about. He talks about blessing. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, blessed, 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 blessed. God's kingdom is showing up and where God's kingdom is, shows up, there's where God's blessing is. God wants to bless the world. You see this throughout the scripture with God's goodness. 2 Peter 1 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Did you hear that? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You're not lacking anything. If you have the life of Christ, you're not lacking anything. Do you believe that? You've come, it's, it's, it, in the language of the car commercials, you've come fully loaded. It's a fully loaded car. It's a fully loaded life. I think, that's, I think that's one of the things that holds us back is we, we, we continue to convince ourselves that we're missing something. It's just that simple. We convince ourselves that, we've, that we're missing something. We don't have what somebody else has. And the scripture says, no, that's not true. You have everything. God has given you his great, his precious promises. And they're for a reason. He is good. So all of these speak to the heart of God toward us, his creation. All right, so here's the topic at hand. How can we bless others? That's what I want to unpack simply today. And I want to talk about practices, all right? How can we practice blessing others? And I want to give you five ways. I want to offer five ways. There could be others, obviously. But I want to offer you five ways that I've thought about, five practices for blessing others. First is this. We can bless people with our words. We can bless people with our words. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Turn to um, James chapter 3, if you would, please. And as you're turning there, I'm going to tie my shoe. Nothing worse than speaking and all of a sudden stepping on your shoelaces and falling over in front of 500 people. Some of you in the front row saw that it came undone. You were wondering if I was going to tie it, didn't you? Yeah. I was thinking about when I was going to tie it, and I was, I was waiting for this moment. So, James chapter 3, if you would, please, now that I've tied my shoe. James chapter 3 talks about, James is, is the half-brother of Jesus, and it's kind of the, the equivalent of Proverbs, it's wisdom literature. And at the beginning of verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, 
of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's what I wanted you to see. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Uh, What's interesting is if you were to take that and put it into our common day thinking, with the tongue we can sing praises like Beth led us in this morning, we can sing the Psalms, and then we can get in our car and just drop something on some driver on the way home. Some driver who cut us off, some driver who doesn't know what they're doing, some driver who in my language is an idiot. And with it, we can sing praises to God, and in the next moment, we can say some of the most unkind things to people. And the tongue has the ability, we have the ability to do that. And, you know, it's easy to slip in this in marriage. Uh, a diagnostic question for you husbands out there. Is your wife a better person because she's married to you? Is your wife a better person because she's married to you? First Peter 3, 7 says that Husbands are to dwell with their wives in an understanding way. And it it says that because you're heirs together of the grace of life. Does your wife sense that with your tongue you are leading her into the grace of life? Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about Christ and the church and he makes an analogy to marriage and he says that, that Christ gave himself to the church so that he might set the church apart for the goal that God has for God's people. And applied to marriage, it's husbands, are you bringing your wife to the purposes that God has for her? Are you, are you moving her toward the goals that God has for her? Have you talked about that? Has she reflected on that? Have you caused her to reflect on that? And, and that all happens with our tongues. You um, single men who are out there, young, old, middle, whatever ages you are, I live in a household full of women now. My sons have gone, so I live with a bunch of women. And I listen to women talk about godly men, about the desire for godly men. Not my wife, but the other ones. <laughs> He's already taken, all right? <laughs> Just to clarify that. <laughs> but I hear them talk about, you know, single men. What is it that, that, a, that a godly single woman is looking for, in, for a man? And they want a godly single man who is a blessing. That's what, how I would characterize it. Someone who brings blessing, who sees God's purposes for their life and is, and is paying attention to something besides just themselves and is interested in bringing blessing into someone else's lives. I think, I think any of the godly single women who are in this church would love to have a godly single man like that. And if you want me to play matchmaker, come see me, all right? Be glad to try to help you out on that one. Husbands, are you a source of blessing in your wife's life? Would she feel like she's lacking this blessing if you weren't in her life? Back to James chapter 3, verse 9, that whole issue he talks about, he says that with it we bless our Lord and Father, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's, it's very easy to use the tongue to curse someone you know very well. You ever thought about that? And by cursing, I'm not talking about profanity. Listen to how John Ortberg puts it. He's a pastor. In his book, Soul Keeping, he writes these words. 
I used to think cursing meant someone swearing at them or putting a hex on them, so it's pretty easy to avoid because I didn't swear or do hexes. I realized how wrong I had been. You can curse someone with an eyebrow. You can curse someone with a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. That's true, isn't it? I mean, isn't it easiest to to curse the people we know the best? Why? Because you can customize the way that you wound that person. You know them so well, it's like you can, you can direct a heat-seeking missile right at their weakest point and wound them there. Our tongues have the power to do that, James tells us, and I'm sure that many of us know that by experience. So how do you begin to bless someone with your tongue? Well, tell your spouse, tell your children, tell your roommate, tell your your friend, tell your boyfriend, your girlfriend, tell them you want to be a blessing to them. I mean, just go ahead and say it. I want to be a blessing to you. Tell them that, that, that God has a desire to bless them and that you want to be a source of God's blessing in their life. Just go ahead and say that. That's good for starters because it kind of normalizes the fact that this is your intention, that this is something that you want to do in their life. And then ask yourself, what does it look like to speak words of life to this person? See, that has to be customized as well. What kind of words of life does this person need at this moment? And how, do I, how might I undo the lies that they have believed or the lies that have been spoken to them possibly through generations of their family? How do I bring God's favor and, and good intention to them? So how can we bless others? First of all, we can bless others with our words. Secondly, we can bless people by noticing them. We can bless people by noticing them. How many of... How many of times when Jesus is releasing life to others, as you read about his, his life in the Gospels, does it begin by him noticing people that society largely overlooked? Think about it. The tax collectors, the sinners, the, the, the marginalized. Jesus was always noticing these people. That's why the Gospel writers write about them. It's because Jesus notices them. In Luke, you have two examples you have that easily come to my mind. That is This little guy by the name of Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, despised by the Jews, he goes up into a tree, a group is passing by, Jesus, a mob surrounding Jesus, and Jesus notices Zacchaeus in the tree. He calls him down and says, I want to eat at your house tonight. He takes somebody who's an outsider, and he says, he notices them, and he brings life to them. Again, in Luke, there's a woman who, who had a, a, a bloody discharge for over 10 years. And because of that, she is ceremonially unclean within Israel's laws. Jesus is passing by. She knows she can't touch him because she will make him ceremonially unclean. She knows that that is not the right thing to do. But, she says, if I can at least touch the hem of his garment, perhaps something will happen. And she does that. And Jesus notices her. Jesus, in the midst of the crowd, notices her and he says, who touched me? His disciples say, what do you mean, who touched you? You're surrounded by hundreds of people. 
But Jesus notices people. And his life goes to people because he first notices them. So how can we more actively notice people? I thought about that and want to just throw some thoughts your way. You can add to them. But here's, here's something that comes to me. Practice being fully present. Practice being fully present. It was the, uh, the late missionary Jim Elliott, and I'll never forget this. It was uh, in Shadow of the Almighty, a book that was very influential in my life. He said this. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Uh, right now, wherever you are, be all there. And that means, for me, don't converse while you're looking at your phone. Don't, don't be looking at your phone and talking to someone. That, you can't be all there while you're doing that. Put your phone down, put it on mute, turn it over, and be fully present to the person you're with. Even if it, you feel it may be an insignificant conversation, maybe it will be more significant if you're all there. It's just little things like that that can begin to help us to be there. Practice looking in the eyes of the person you're talking to. And then pause when they pause, don't immediately jump in on the conversation. I'll tell you something that I have found, and that is that it's very rare to find anybody in our culture that listens to you well. And what I have found also is that oftentimes a person will test out being known. They'll say something and they'll, and, and they'll test you out to see if it's safe to be known. If it's safe to reveal something. And that pause after they reveal something is intended to see if you're going to receive it and be in an open posture to receive more. But if you jump in and fill that uncomfortable space with your words, what happens is it shuts down that moment of vulnerability, that moment that person is tested to find out, could it be that this person really wants to know me? And we all want to be known, and we all want to be loved. And I'm telling you, it's hard to find anybody that will do those two things for us. But yet we can be that for people. So pause and pay attention and listen. Maybe practice noticing the people that are around you in, in public spaces, the people who wait on you in a restaurant. You could start there. They wear name tags because they're human beings. They have names. They matter to somebody they should matter to us as they serve us. You want to notice, you want to practice noticing somebody? Be generous in your tipping. Be generous in your tipping. I can't tell you the number of people I have talked to who serve in restaurants. And they say, oh yeah, we always know the Christians. Because they're the ones that either don't tip or tip just very minimally. That's the reputation Christians have. Break the reputation. Notice people by tipping and thanking them. The people who check you out at the stores, do you make eye contact? Do you have conversation with them? Hello, so-and-so, how have you been doing? You know, how's your day going? Rather than just, and then out. So how can we bless others? We can bless people with our words and by noticing them. The last three are very quick. We can bless people, thirdly, by telling them what we notice. We can bless people by telling them what we notice. In my freshman year of college, I had an English professor who pulled me aside in the library one night, which is kind of weird, but he pulled me aside in the library one night, he popped out of the stacks and said, have, 
it was kind of like that. It, he said to me, he says, have you ever considered a career in writing as a writer? He says, because you're very gifted. Now, at that time, I was pre-med in, and I was a chemistry major. And I thanked him. Continued what I, the track I was on. My junior year of college, I would go out and run with my next-door neighbor who was next door to my parents and when I was at home. And he was also a pastor of the church that I attended uh, there in, in Columbus, Ohio. And at one occasion, we did a lot of running, and I listened to a lot of his sermons on Saturday as he was preparing them for Sunday. And on one occasion, he said to me, pulled me aside, and he says, have you ever considered going into the pastoral ministry? He says, because I see real gifts, and he said, he said I see real desires. Now, at that point, I'm, again, pre-med, but this time microbiology major. And I'm thinking, like, well, thanks. Thanks for, you know, thank you for noticing something, and thank you for speaking into my life. But the reason why those two occasions stand out is because someone bothered to notice something about me. And someone bothered to tell me what they noticed. And they noticed something about my gifting. They noticed something about the way that maybe I might bring life to someone else. And they said something to me about it. I've never forgotten that. Two occasions where I distinctly remember someone paying attention to me and pointing out ways that I might have a life that gives life. It can be very powerful to do that in the lives of other people. Fourthly, we can bless people by reminding them of their identity in Jesus and their God-given destiny. Just very quickly, you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Timothy 2, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy. He's, he's beat down. He's discouraged by what's going on in this place where he's planting this church. And, and Paul says to him, stir up the gift of God, fan into flame the gift of God. He tells him that, you know what, within you is something that, that God has started and God is going to continue it in you. So stir it up. Jesus is committed to bringing us to our God-given destiny. Philippians 1, 6, the person, this Jesus who began this good work in you will bring it to completion. You see that in Romans 8 as well, in the last part of Romans 8, that God is going to bring you and me to the purposes he has for us. You see, within every person is a God-given destiny that he has for us. And what gets in the way of that? What gets in the way of people realizing God's destiny for them? Life? Fatigue, routine, distraction, bad habits, boredom. There's just a variety of things like that that get in the way of us realizing this destiny that we were made for, that God has for us. And a way to bless people is to remind them of who they are in Jesus and the destiny that God has for them. And finally, last suggestion, we can bless people by praying for them. And that's related to, to noticing people and telling them what, what we notice. Just final quick story. I was, um, before Christmas, I was walking across from the offices over to the social hall, walking down the street, and I was, um, we were going to be setting up chairs for the Christmas Eve service, and there was an um, African-American couple that were walking in front of me, and, and I heard the woman say to the man um, something to the effect of, move out of the way so this guy can get by, and I said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, I'm not in a big hurry. She says, well, he's, he has to walk slowly because he's got this back problem. There was my entry point. 
This guy was like 6'5". He looked like an NFL player, football player, massive human being. And so I began to ask him about his back problem. He began to tell me about the work that he had done, about the injury that had occurred. They were just delightful people. They told me that they'd been living in these apartments for years. They've looked out at this church. They've, always, they've seen this coffee place. They've wondered if it's open. And, you know, we had this wonderful conversation and just engaging. They didn't know that I was a pastor of this church. And I find somehow in the conversation it came up normally that for me to say, well, yeah, I'm going over here because I'm pastor. And, uh, and the, the guy goes like, no. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> because when you don't, you don't look like one. You don't act like one. And I went like, oh, gee, what, what, what are they supposed to look like and act like? You know, it was funny, but we had this funny exchange. But then at the end of it, I, I said to him, I said, and I really, uh, you know, trying to step in this practice of blessing, I said, do you mind if I pray for your back? And they were just delighted. There was this, I had listened to them. I had gotten to know their story. And so it was a natural opportunity to say, do you mind if I pray for your back? And so we stopped right there, right out in the street, and we had a prayer time. And they were so thankful for that. They were so deeply thankful. That's not because I'm something special. It's just because I listened to them and I asked them, can I pray for them? And I think that sometimes we Christians think that if we say, I'll pray for you, that that counts as prayer. It's like, oh, my thoughts are for you. What does that mean? No, you, you need to pray for the person. And you know what happens when you pray for the person and they hear you praying God's favor and intention over them? It blesses them. They experience God's blessing. I was in an appointment with someone this week. He reflected to me about a prayer that I had for him and how it had so touched his life. It was anything special. I was just praying for God's favor and good intention for it. It's powerful stuff, folks, if you unleash it on people. So finally, look at the people in this room. Turn and look at them, would you please? All right? If you just kind of came to, turn around and look at the people around you. All right? Look at the number of people in this room. Look at these wonderful people. Now, think with me for a second. What would happen this week if each one of us walked out of this room and we blessed one person this week. What might God begin to do? What stories might we have? Not look how great I am, but look at who I got to bless. Look at how I got to step into this blessing. Look at what God did. It's just as simple as the things that I've described to you. I'm trusting that we'll be this congregation that begins to step out and have home lives that are about blessing kids rather than yelling, them, yelling at them. Having workplaces where we bless instead of slandering and, and gossiping. Having neighborhoods that are filled with blessing. May God give that to us. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this possibility of blessing. And I ask that this week you would sensitize us to the people that are around us who um, may be people who are ready to receive the blessing that you've prepared us to give to them through a word, through prayer, through just some simple way that we can bless people. I ask that you would then fill us with stories that as we move through this year that this time would become a time where we report these phenomenal stories of people's lives being touched and you using us and the thrill that we have of seeing you show up. So please show your faithfulness to us and give us 
open eyes and ears and mouths to be partnering with you in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.